Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello and welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, and I just got back from IMN's fifth annual single family rental investment forum in Miami, Florida. I was on a panel there speaking, and what I enjoy about these events is that I get to network with people from all around the country and even out of the country and talk about the future of real estate investing, what is happening in the markets, the tightening of inventory, the growing rental pool, the effects of policy, monetary and fiscal, as well as geopolitical events. I mean, there's just a mixed bag of topics and it's all fascinating. So this is a good segue into today's show. You see, sometimes I talk to you about tactical items, whether it be asset protection or evaluating a neighborhood or finding a good deal, but you need to kind of counter that with understanding some strategic related topics. It's good to understand the tactical side of things, but it's also good to understand the bigger picture, the strategic items, things that can or will affect your real estate investing, the strategy you have, where you invest, when you invest, that kind of stuff. So today's show is more about macroeconomic stuff, but I want you to stay tuned and listen because I have a great guest and we're kind of bouncing all over the place talking about different subjects, but they all tie in and it's good to have that big picture 50,000 foot level view of your real estate investing. And it doesn't matter whether you don't have property yet or you only have one property or maybe you have a large portfolio of 100 units. It doesn't matter. You need to just understand this even if it's only at a high level. So Thomas Friedman, he is a U.S. journalist, but he's really an author and three-time Pulitzer Prize winner. He's a very smart guy. He's written many books on the subject of world events, economics, geopolitics, and how that all plays into the U.S. economy. I like one of his quotes. He said that in Globalization 1.0, which began in 1492, the world went from the size large to size medium. In Globalization 2.0, the era that introduced us to multinational companies, it went from size medium to size small. And then somewhere around the year 2000 came Globalization 3.0, And at that point, the world went from being small to tiny. So you can see that the smaller the world gets, the more we are affected and impacted by events that happen outside of our borders. You see, all real estate may be local, but that doesn't necessarily shield one market from major events occurring thousands of miles away. In today's global economy, important geopolitical events have consequences that can easily ripple across the planet, and it can and will affect you. You see, election results, economic policies, and international relations all have spillover effects on global real estate, whether directly or indirectly, and these create incentives for buyers to be drawn toward or even repelled from various geographic markets. So you've got to watch these bigger picture items because it can give you clues as to when or why to move into a market or when or why to move out of particular markets. And some factors are purely financial in nature, like changes in currency values or tax treatments. For example, the provincial government of British Columbia in Canada imposed a 15% tax on foreign investment last August. And that's a law that would have added $300,000 to the price of a 
the $2 million home in the Vancouver market. And we all know that Vancouver is very, very expensive. It's much like the San Francisco market here in the US. I mean, there's many parallels to that. There's a lot of investment capital coming in from other countries, foreign capital. But as a result of this tax, house prices in the area fell 5.3% in November. And that's the largest monthly decline since 2012. But get this, from January 2016 to January 2017, house prices in Vancouver fell a whopping 18.9%. That's almost 19% in one year. And it reduced the foreign investment rate from 13% prior to August of last year to a low of about 4% right now. So the foreign investment capital has dried up considerably and that lack of demand, that lack of capital has let prices slide in the Vancouver market. So they're really seeing a correction right now. Other policies that may make destinations less or more appealing by easing or restricting immigration, that's one thing. Cross-border trade is another thing. In worst-case scenarios, geopolitical events can escalate into full-fledged military conflicts, and that could displace entire communities and endanger lives. So, by nearly any standard, 2016 was extraordinary. There were a lot of events going on politically, you know, starting with Great Britain's Brexit vote, and then that rippled through major elections across Europe and the United States. Populism has been turning the status quo upside down. And while it may be tempting to view populism as a rigid and inflexible movement extending across borders, this would be an oversimplification of the various forces at play in each election. And it would encourage faulty assumptions about how developments may unfold in 2017 and beyond. So consider this. Donald Trump may have earned his fortune in real estate, but his broader policy positions and their implications on U.S. real estate will only begin to take focus after about his first year as president. It just takes that long for changes to be implemented and start taking effect. So over the first half of this year, 2017, there's little doubt the U.S. economy will enjoy stimulus, largely from a combination of tax cuts and government spending on infrastructure and national defense. But this in turn should boost consumer confidence and drive the economy higher, along with inflation and interest rates. As long as our growth, our GDP growth is sustained and comes from more jobs and higher productivity, inflation will be and should be manageable. But one hallmark of U.S. real estate and this is something to consider, regardless of who holds the presidency, is the fact that personal property rights here in the U.S. are held sacred. And those property rights are extended equally to foreign nationals. It doesn't matter if you're a company or a person, or whether you're a U.S. resident or a foreign national. These property rights are very important because it's the rule of law that makes the U.S. so appealing to foreign nationals. So this appealing fact, especially to Chinese investors, is a huge draw for foreign capital. I just spoke with an investor in Sydney, Australia, right before recording this here today. And he's in the process right now of getting pre-approved for financing so he can start buying a portfolio of properties here in the United States. So he's working with one of our investment counselors right now and putting those pieces in place. People get it and they will continue to invest in the U.S., but in different places and to different degree. Often, geopolitical events in other parts of the world can tip the scales in such a way that a safe haven in U.S. real estate will still attract inbound investment in spite of other disincentives, such as the exchange rate of their currency into ours, which can be dramatic. So you may want to consider yourself as a global real estate practitioner. It's important to stay dialed into these and other stories, and doing so puts you in a much better position to spot opportunities and understand where future business may originate from and why. 
So today I have an interesting guest who happened to be in Israel when I interviewed him. So the audio isn't perfect, but the commentary was very good. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. It's my pleasure to introduce Lior Gantz of Wealth Research Group. Lior has been called a thrill-seeking entrepreneur by his team, and as such, he has built and runs numerous successful businesses. He has traveled to over 30 countries in the past decade in pursuit of thrills and opportunities, gaining valuable knowledge and experience. He is also the president of Wealth Research Group. So, Lior, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Lior, you are in Israel right now, right? Yeah. Don't hold it against me. I know. <laughs> I know. It's a beautiful country, and I'd love to make it out there one of these days. But you spend half of your time in the U.S. and then half of your time there. Why don't you tell us about yourself and what you do with Wealth Research Group and why you spend half your time in the U.S. and half your time in Israel? Well, I was born here in Israel, so my entire family is here, and we just had a baby. So Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I can't just diss the grandmas, right? So <laughs> got to be here for a while. And most of my partners and my friends, my clients, everything like that is in the U.S. So it's not a fair assessment to say we're six months here and six months there. We kind of travel around the summer, so we don't hit any winters. So we follow the summers like four months, four months, four months or something like that. Kind of want to be in a perpetual summer condition. My wife is originally from the Ukraine, so she hates the cold right now right? When you have a choice. Anyways, with the Wealth Research Group, we started in early 2016. And the reason we launched Wealth Research Group was before that, I was managing funds for high-end clients. And the 2008 crisis changed so many people's perspectives about how to invest and how to live, how to save, what's right, what's wrong, what's safe. Everything was changed fundamentally, especially in the U.S., but in every Western country, it hit a very hot button in people's psyche. And I had a passion to create a business where I can help a larger group of people and have no threshold for entrance. So a free newsletter was the ultimate way to do it and strengthen the financial fortress of people just using more education. Our subscribers are anywhere from young individuals to retirees. So it's been very rewarding. We were ranked number one in the world in 2016 for what we do, which is focus on the natural resource sector in the stock market. So it's anything that has to do with commodities. Right now, Marco, this might surprise you, but we're also focusing on the marijuana legalization which obviously you're from California, so you know how insane that process can be and how profitable it can be. So there's a lot that we do on that front, but mostly we're very big picture type newsletter where our signature reports and our data is about the big picture economy. We're more talking about the risks of the entire monetary system as it's built, I would say in a very experimental way because of the Nixon default in 1971, where he turned basically the entire financial system to be floating currencies against each other. And there is no tangible asset backing anything in the world today. 
all countries issue currency, which has no bearing on reality. And so this system creates a lot of problems and challenges for savers and investors. And since we've immersed ourselves in research about this subject, that is the main focus of Wealth Research Group, how to handle today's environment. So on on the website, that is the type of special reports that are featured. And with the newsletter, obviously, you get our IS conviction ideas. So that's basically in a nutshell. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, we're really big on education, and we always talk about continuing to educate yourself and learning what you can. But that's just not real estate. It could be economics. It could be history. It could be world events, geopolitics. I mean, everything you just listed could be a long episode in and of itself. So yeah, you made a good point about 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard. He closed the gold window on August 15th. And at that point, money was no longer money. Money became a currency, and every world currency floated against each other. And so we went from this asset-backed system to a faith-based system. And really, I mean, if you look at it, it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme because we have to continually add more debt, more currency, more liquidity into the system each and every year to pay for the interest of the previous year. So by definition, we are effectively living in a worldwide Ponzi scheme, and that has a significant effects on real estate investors because it naturally puts us into an inflationary environment. And you know as well as I do that as an investor, you need to understand inflation and the effects of it and how you could benefit by investing in, I know you love precious metals, so it could be precious metals, it could be real estate. At least those are my two favorite asset classes when it comes to inflation. So I guess I would just encourage our listeners to go to Wealth Research Group and learn more about you and the type of information that you put out and look at other resources as well. It's very important to me to note that you mentioned real estate and precious metals as some of your best inflation hedges. And I would say there's one that outperforms both of them. If we're talking about mild inflation, like normal inflation, two, three, four percent. And these are certain types of stocks that are far superior to anything else. And it would surprise your listeners, I think. But the ultimate type of inflation hedge, if we're talking about a normal environment where it's like a 2 to 4%, I'm saying normal because it's normal for, for this type of environment. It's not normal universally, right? But in the world we live in, 2 to 4% is where central banks target inflation. And for that type of environment, a certain kind of stock, I call it a wealth stock. And that's also on the website. If you want to check out and download one of the reports on the wealth stocks. It's right there on on the top menu. But anyways, the idea behind it is, Marco, and this you'll find it very simple to understand, is there are some types of companies that are able to grow their product line or their service. And I would say price it inflation adjusted, and it won't hurt their consumer. The consumer will not consume less of the product and they've raised their price. Now, not every industry can do that. Not every industry can match inflation all the time, raise their prices, and still have the same amount of consumers. But there are some industries and some companies that can do that, and those are the best proven inflation hedges over time. They compound at far superior rates to anything else that you can find in the financial industry for a high degree of safety. 
So that's just a repricing of their product or service, not change in the value of their stock on the stock market. Is that right? Well, it would follow suit. Just remember, inflation rises. Some companies cannot pass on that inflation to the consumer. They lose market share. They lose margins. Their margins shrink. They lose their market share, their consumer base. And these companies, it's like a magic company. It's so efficient for the capital markets. They can raise their price and they would lose zero clients. The clients are very hooked on the product or they just choose that brand over anything else. It doesn't matter if it costs three or four or five dollars more or even a dollar more, whatever the industry is. There's a few companies like that. These are your the type of companies that Warren Buffett has also specialized in over the last 60 years. You know, we can get into that in more in depth, but I was just also mentioning that I love these companies so much that I've actually written extensive reports on them on the website. And you can go ahead and check that for free on our wealth stocks tab on the top menu on on the left side. But yeah, Marco, for people who are looking for a safe way to grow their passive income, these companies, they've been able to grow their profits through the Great Recession. So 2007, 2008, 2009, they chugged along and grew their profits. It's an insane type of company that can do that. Sure. Yeah. And real estate and precious metals are not the only way to safeguard against inflation. So they just happen to be my two favorite. And that's what I focus on and and educate myself on and stick to. But I'll download your report and research it for myself just to expand my knowledge. And who knows, I might go in that direction. But just to kind of bring things back here a little bit, not to go too far off on a tangent, there's a bunch of stuff happening right now. And over the coming weeks and months, what you might call major world events. And I just wanted to get your opinion on how that could affect real estate and the real estate markets, particularly here in the U.S., because we know we live in a global economy now and, you know, you can't completely ignore world events or geopolitics or anything like that as much as some people find that they hate the topic or it's just completely boring to them or completely foreign to them. At the end of the day, it can and eventually will affect you. So today, as we record this, Just within the last 30 or 60 minutes, you know, the House has voted against repealing Obamacare. So, you know, that Obamacare replacement bill has officially passed the House and, you know, and now it's moving on to the next step. So I think there's a lot of momentum and traction there. So my question to you is this, how can this Obamacare repeal and replacement affect the U.S. economy and, and more particularly the real estate market? Because I know this is a, getting a lot of momentum right now. Well, what mostly throughout history drives real estate prices are the job market and the credit markets. And obviously behind those two are demographics. So those are the big three items that drives real estate prices over time. And the idea is, first of all, you talked about the global geopolitics, right? Mm -hmm. Global geopolitics right now has a large effect on the US because obviously you're aware of this as as much as I am. There are many Asian buyers that come into the US and buy for cash. They buy the real estate for cash. Is that correct or or is that correct? And it's very true, especially in the gateway cities like San Francisco, New York, Miami. In fact, I was just having this conversation over the last two days at the IMN event in Miami where I just came back from last night. So yes, there's a lot of capital coming in from China and, and other countries too. And these are cash purchases. Oh yeah. And these are geopolitics events that are happening 
happening around the world that are affecting how the U.S. looks to foreign investors as a safe haven. So I know inside the U.S. there's all types of tensions and the populist movement that elected Trump over establishment Hillary has gained a lot of momentum and it's gaining a lot of momentum in Europe as well. In France right now, Marine Le Pen is going to be in the second round, very populistic vote. And so there's so much about what you said before about real estate being a safe haven and not just an investment. It's bricks and mortar, right? It's not paper. You know, you can look at it. There's an element to real estate which makes it so tangible that a lot of people get burned in the stock market or are just very fearful. They flock to real estate. And that also is is a fourth element to the price which wasn't there before. So before the fiat monetary system, before 1971, people would not buy real estate as a safe haven because a safe haven from what? There was nothing to save yourself from. And now with countries going into inflations and the European Union, if Marine Le Pen wins, the European Union will probably be in in, in sort of dissolvement process because she's against the euro. She wants to close borders. She's very similar to what Trump is doing with regards to U.S. security, where he wants to create a country that is not globalistic. So we have a lot of things moving in the real estate market. I think what's very important right now is the difference between states in the U.S. with regards to income tax. That's driving a lot of demographics to move. You got a quarter of the country retiring, 80 million people, and they're looking to move to hot states instead of the cold weather states. They have all sorts of other demands where there's good nurseries and good hospitals, etc. That's what drives a quarter of the people. And now you got the millennials, which have just surpassed in numbers, the baby boomers. Well, just a few millions more. It's not nothing you know exciting, but it is the first generation that's bigger than the baby boomers. And they have different ideas on what being an American is and what a career is. So they're moving to other states. There's so much going on in the U.S. And and what I think is very exciting also is the oil industry and the renaissance of the natural gas industry in the U.S. And if this continues along in a few years, the U.S. will be a net exporter of oil and natural gas. Would, Would you ever figure that this day would come? No, that's amazing. The U.S. used to export inflation to the Middle East and get back petroleum. And now the U.S., they're building liquefied natural gas ports where you you take the natural gas, you liquefy it. It becomes obviously less in volume and then you can export it to other countries because the U.S. has 100 years of natural gas reserves. So many high paying jobs are where nat gas and oil fields are. So there's many things that are affecting right now the real estate market throughout the U.S. But to kind of answer your question, the average investor who is thinking about where to invest, he doesn't have to think about all of this in order to make a good purchase. What I think it boils down to is tapping into a well-proven turnkey strategy. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's not like there's 320 million people in the U.S. listening to the same news, to the same data, and each of them has to process it on his own. It's inefficient. The better way to do it and the way I've done it is to find a connection with a person or a company that I trust and start working with them because they've done all that work for me. It's all baked in the cake anyways. All the prices 
and all the areas are already priced for you. All you need to do is think whether or not the numbers work for you and whether or not you think that particular area is in growth mode. And when I say growth mode, what I like to buy is real estate that also cash flows, but also has room for appreciation. And the way I do that is it's just a rule of thumb. You don't have to follow this rule of thumb. But if the average income is less than three times the home price, then that market has room to grow. It's very affordable and people can raise prices on their homes and other people will still buy them. So if that market cash flows and is less than a three to one ratio, that's a market I want to be in. And then what I also do, and these are kind of secrets, maybe they're not even secrets to some of your listeners that are very savvy, but I call the chambers commerce in the city. I learned which companies are entering and which companies are heading out. So I want to see that there's job growth downtown. And they also have occupancy levels for the offices. They have occupancy levels for commercial real estate. They have a lot of data that is very good. And what I also like to see is the amount of permits that have gone for the last nine months. I want to see if there's a spike or if it's very, I would say, moderate. I don't want to be after a large spike in the permits because that means that I can wait a little longer and get better prices. And the last thing that I always check before I choose on a market is I want to check how affordable it is. And that's when you want to call a few brokers or a few real estate agents. And you just want to make sure if it's a buyer's market, if it's a seller's market, what's going on, which neighborhoods, which zip codes, do your research on what's hot and what's not, and then have a better idea. I tend to stay away from large economic data when it comes down to real estate purchase. So if you want to take this a year earlier, if the UK would have chose to stay in the euro or if it chose to break out of the euro and do the Brexit, it would change nothing about whether or not I close on a property or not. So you're saying that the effects that are happening in the eurozone are not going to have an effect here in the US on real estate? They will in a very moderate fashion. And therefore, it's much more important to focus on what's going on inside U.S. territory and not look at Brexit. For instance, like I said, you don't have to search what's going on in China to see, to call your title agent and ask him, look, who's closing on all these properties? And he'll tell you there's Chinese and Asian buyers. So now you know that there are Asian buyers in the U.S., right? You don't need to research China's economic condition in order to make your own conclusions. What I'm telling you is you should simplify this and just look at what's going on inside the US and then you can say, oh, they're buying here. That means they're looking for safety here, etc." right? It's much more simplified than trying to research why the Chinese are coming to the US. Yep. You know, and just wrapping up the whole Obamacare thing, I mean, clearly this is job-driven and demographic-driven as far as the net effect on the U.S. real estate market. But, you know, one thing that I think gets swept under the rug or is not talked about is last year in 2016, six and a half million taxpayers had to pay $3 billion, with a B, $3 billion in Obamacare penalties for not having health insurance. And that just means that the consumer has had $3 billion less to put into the economy and spend on food and their own shelter and consumables. That affects people's ability to buy or save for housing or buy 
buy investment property. So there is definitely these unintended consequences that come out of this. And really, it's just a tax. I mean, they call it a penalty, but it's a tax. And that's out of the pocket of most middle class Americans that now can't spend that or invest it into real estate or precious metals or whatever. So there's this trickle down effect that it doesn't get talked about enough, I think. Look, anytime the government does anything, it disrupts the free market and it always has these unintended consequences. That's why you see Trump, a guy who's been in the real estate world since he was out of his mother's womb and he wants to lower taxes substantially. Why does he do that? Because he knows, well, he's banking on the fact that this will create economic activity and growth. And the U.S. will be a 400 million people population by the end of this century. It's a country that is in growth mode. It's not Russia. It's not Japan. It's in growth mode. So there's plenty of real estate opportunities for developers, for new housing, for expansion in every city that can expand its territory. And lowering taxes and increasing the Fed rate, the interest rate, is what usually fuels economic activity for real estate because banks don't want to lend when the interest rates are so low, right? They want to lend to maybe institutional, commercial type, but not the retail crowd. Right. And the retail crowd, which always thinks backwards because that's why they're called retail, right? The retail crowd says, okay, right now, interest rates are very low, which means the economy is very slow. I should probably wait before I buy a house. I should probably rent now. Obviously, the other way around is the correct one. They should be all over these low interest rate loans. But what they're always thinking is the other way around. They're thinking, look, it's very scary now. I'll probably buy it and the house will go down in value or go down in price. And when they will start taking out loans is the day their mortgage broker will call them and say, hey, you know, the Fed has just raised rates again. We're going to raise rates are you going to take a mortgage out now or when it's uh, 6%, 7%? Right. And that's when they'll do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's the fear that drives them. Oh, yeah. And it's always like that. And I think millennials are starting to forget 2008 and they want the American dream. They want it back. I think they want it in a different way than previous generations wanted it. But home ownership has definitely not gone away. In fact, it's bottomed about a year ago and it's in a major uptrend, major uptrend. So America on sale, no more. It's a long gone idea. Right now, you're going to see prices going up again in many of the major cities that go up first. And then you'll see that throughout the country. And I think the major banks, City, Wells, JP Morgan, the big issuers of, of mortgages, what they have done until now is take all of this TARP money and all of these very low interest loans, and they've just created an arbitrage for themselves. They went into Mooney bonds or other types of bonds, and they just had 2% spread. They were happy with it because you're talking billions and billions of dollars, right? But now when the Fed is raising rates, what it's trying to provoke is the banks easing up lending requirements again and you know making money again like banks do by loaning out. So I think... The U.S. is moving right now towards a country where the age bracket of 35 to 49, the peak earners, have just surpassed for the first time in 15 years the age group that's before them, the 20 to 34. So the broke people are less than the middle income people right now. And whenever you see that, 
you can go back, Marco, all the way to the First World War. And you see every time that transition happened, there is a boom in the stock market and in the real estate market. And as contrarian as it sounds, with all the problems, with all that national debt overhanging everyone, $20 trillion with everything, I think you're going to see in the next few years, I think there's going to be a correction first. But after that, there's going to be a major boom in the U.S. It sounds so contrarian right now, but I think that's the next decade for the U.S., That's a huge statement. I hope everybody caught that because what you're saying is even if we run into a stock market correction or a strong or deep recession, there's massive opportunity coming out the other end of that because of housing demand. Is that what you're saying? Yes, Yeah. exactly. I tend to agree. I think the major opportunity in the real estate market is in lease options because I think a lot of people who want ownership are still afraid to take to originate a mortgage a lease option feels comfortable to them. So that's one thing I think is important. But I also think senior housing and anything that benefits the elderly community is going to be doing very well. And then obviously, like I said, developers, that are going to find the best and most desirable market for these peak earners are going to do very, very well. And I think there's going to be a new type of investor who wants to be a turnkey investor. And he's going to own like 30 or four properties in, you know, in Jacksonville, Florida. And then he'll find online a guy who owns a bulk of properties in Vegas and they'll just swap titles because the guy who lives in Vegas for 20 years wants to live on the coast now in Jacksonville. And the other guy wants the action of Vegas. They'll swap titles and they'll swap lifestyles. And you'll have this sort of European community where people own so many properties for a few generations, like in Europe, where most of the people are renters because properties have been owned for generations upon generations. I think the U.S. is becoming such an environment where real estate investors could accumulate 50 or 60 homes throughout their lifetimes because it's very affordable. And then they can choose to live where they want to live next to their properties or maybe swap titles in the future. I think that's a huge part of what's going to happen in the U.S., this kind of a landlord type country. Well, we've been moving in that direction for the last 10 years towards a renter's nation because we went down to about a 63% ownership rate across the country. This is nationwide from about a peak of about 69%. And that trend is expected to continue down past the 60% range. So we could be in the upper 50% range. And, you know, it's not quite Europe, but, you know, we're getting there. Sure. And I think because of many of these purchases are cash, these people are owning the properties free and clear. They have no risk of default, no real risk of default. And that's why I'm saying they will keep accumulating more and more assets. Right. So, I mean, there's just so many other topics I want to talk about here and and we could go on for hours. So let's just fly through some of these other ones for the sake of time here. We've talked about Europe two or three times here just briefly. I'm not sure what the major event is that's coming up on May 7th, which is right around the corner. But It's the second round of the French elections, meaning that uh, if Le Pen ends up winning, they might declare that they want to do some sort of a forensics or whatever you want to call it. They want to exit the euro. Frexit. (laughs) 
it's Brexit the, or whatever. It's the next Brexit. It's Frexit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a disaster over there. You know, it seems that 50% of the euro is on their way out. The ECB, the, you know, European Central Bank has this endless bond buying program, you know, the equivalent of what we have here in the US as quantitative easing. And that has to come to an end. I mean, they're just going to print their way to oblivion. And then, you know, now, you know, the French, France is on the chopping block here and, you know, they're looking to leave the euro. And if that happens, it's just going to completely unwind. So yes, what kind of implications does that have to us as real estate investors here in the United States? Well, some countries in Europe are going to become cheap, especially the weak countries. The South countries are going to become cheap. In France, it's already starting. France is becoming cheap. People are exiting France. They're moving to other countries. They're exploring opportunities to take their families outside. Obviously, because of the refugee camp uh, and not because of the euro. They live to other parts of Europe. There's a major, major refugee crisis in France and Belgium and other countries. You know, I travel to Europe quite extensively. And that's one of the most amazing things. I wouldn't be surprised if there would be a Muslim country in Europe in the next 20 to 30 years. There has to be some solution to this. There's so much of them that are coming from the Middle East, fleeting very dangerous countries, and you can't blame them, right? They have nowhere to go. So that's something that's affecting Europe in a big way. I think for opportunities, you might want to look at the southern countries like Greece, very cheap. If you're into real estate in a touristic way, there are amazing opportunities in the islands. Greece is mainland and there's the islands. It's like two different countries. The mainland is you know more uh, robust, industrialized, right? In the major cities and then the village area, it's very, you don't want to there's nothing to do there for real estate purposes. You're talking about investment opportunities outside the United States. You're talking about Americans or other people investing in European countries, right? That's essentially what you're talking about. Okay. Yes, that, that is an option. And if you're looking to stay within the US or if you're looking to get exposure to European real estate without buying actual real estate, you can do that through RITs. RITs are real estate investment trusts, and you can buy them in a very liquid way, Marco, on the stock market. Some of them, they yield 8, 10, 12%, and they're very liquid. And what they do is they manage properties, they run properties either within the US or outside. So that's another option for people who want. The other thing about RITs is you can gain exposure to markets that you can't otherwise. For instance, I've invested in a RIT that rents office space to the United States government. Hmm. So it's a very unique type of writ. You can own writs that operate nurseries or hospitals. So you can gain exposure to a lot of other sectors that as an average investor, you are blocked from. Okay, so Lior, if there is an unwinding in the euro and the currency falls apart, you know, the euro is a major world currency and there's other world currencies pegged against it. So it would be disastrous, I would think, for world markets if the euro fell apart and disappeared. And it may be a long shot, but I don't think anybody has an answer to the question of what would happen to world markets and the U.S. market and the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency if that was to happen. So if you were to look in your crystal ball, what's the likelihood of that happening? And how do you think that would affect the U.S. real estate market and us as investors? Well, I can only tell you my educated guess, but the idea is I think the European Union will kind of unwind in a more beautiful way than in a more panic way. So everyone knows there's problems. They can come to the table. They can kind of revalue and reprice national currencies if, if that was the case. 
I think the public will start liquidating in advance the euro and that would create a panic situation. And I think in that kind of a situation, the US dollar would gain in value probably a lot because it would appear again to be a safe haven currency. Obviously, it's safe haven as compared to other countries and not on an absolute level, but it would raise the value of the US dollar. And I think that would deter foreign investors from buying on the initial thought process. But then on the second thought process, they would say, look, where would I rather own my real estate in a crumbling continent or in a reviving continent? So it might create a situation where the US dollar is valued higher and real estate's uh, prices rise. So it would kind of be like the vet is happy when the dog is sick. So I think that kind of a situation where Europe is crumbling would be beneficial on the short term to the US real estate market and to the US dollar as a whole. Yeah, so there might be a capital flight to the U.S. because everything's falling apart in the euro and everybody's scared. They don't want to be in an unstable market. Yet at the same time, if the U.S. dollar is going up in value, it makes it less attractive to foreign investors because everything becomes more expensive here You know, when you convert it to their currency. So it's kind of a tug of war there, a give and take. But I think at the end of the day, what will win out is the fact that capital needs to go where it's going to be treated best and it'll still come to the U.S., It already does. I mean, uh, so many people are buying treasuries over European bonds because European bonds are actually in negative territory. So 2% sounds amazing for so many people that can invest in Swiss bonds or German bonds that are negative yields. Which is still crazy because even uh, at 2%, when you adjust for inflation, you're still at a negative rate of return. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) it's a losing proposition no matter what you do. Yes. You're buying into a loss, but you're just saying, look, I'm going to lose. This is not something that an individual needs to do, but large insurance companies you know, that have to safeguard billions and billions of float cash premiums that they received and they might need to pay back at some point, right? They can't lose that money. So they would say, look, I'm going to buy this bond. I'm going to probably lose 2% a year, but it's better than exposure to other stuff. Sure. So quick answer for a quick question. June 14th, the next Fed meeting, they're going to be talking about a possible rate hike. Do you think it's going to happen? Yes. Okay. So you think they need to curb inflationary fears? I think uh, inflation is leveled off, but I think they'll still raise it. Okay. All right. For the sake of time, I'm just going to skip to what I'll call as my big question here. You know, Ray Dalio, and on a previous episode, we had the audio from his amazing work on how the economy works. If, if you haven't listened to that, I'm talking to listeners now. If- I've listened to it uh, probably 30 times. How the economic machine works, it's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, it's a fantastic explanation. So, you know, guys like Ray Dalio and Warren Buffett, two of the smartest and wealthiest people that we know, they seem to be pretty optimistic on the U.S. economy, but at the same time, they're fearful or warning of a market crash. And so my question to you is this. We have a lot of clients that have a fair amount of capital in the stock market. You know, they may have been pulling it out, but they're still there. And I think the writing is on the wall. They're starting to feel what other people feel in terms of a major stock market correction. Do you see a stock market correction heading our way anytime soon? And how big do you think it could potentially be? I would say, well, define soon. I would say in the the coming two years, I think there will be a moderate to large correction in the stock market. Yes. Okay. I don't see a 50% correction, if that's what you're asking, but a 20 to 30% correction, very, very doable. All of the ratios, historical ratios, are far and above what's normal. P ratios. Let me give you something that will shock you. 
1980, it took the average salary two and a half weeks to buy the Dow, point in the Dow. It now takes the average salary 27 weeks to buy a point in the Dow. Now, you tell me, how is that an economy? <laughs> how is the 500 largest companies in the U.S., if they're not attainable to the people who work for those companies, how is that not an expensive stock market? You know what I mean? And then the Buffett indicator, if you talked about Warren Buffett, the Buffett indicator is GDP divided by equities, by, by equity prices. And his sweet spot is 0.6. That's where he loves to buy stocks. 0.9 is his high threshold. That's where he stops or, you know, very selectively or does private companies and stay away from large companies, from public trade companies. It's now at 1.2. So it's double what he thinks is a bargain. And it's 33% higher than when he stops buying heavily into stocks. It's very, very high. And the reason that stock market prices are high is because interest rates are very low. It's like a weight on stock prices. So as the Fed continues to raise rates, stock market prices will go down. There's not even a question about this. And in fact, most of the buying right now in the stock market, in the large companies, is the companies that themselves buy their own shares. They're loaning money very cheaply and they buy their own shares. It creates a very nice profit per share and people buy into that. But with that said, it's not like I'm going to liquidate my entire portfolio. Not at all. Some companies, I bought the positions at very attractive prices and there's no reason to sell something that you bought at a very good price. If it pays out a dividend and it's a great company, you can buy more shares. But why sell, right? If you buy a great piece of real estate that is dishing out rents and the price of the real estate uh, of your holding goes down, would you sell it just because of that? No, because the rents are great, right? And probably in some cases increasing. So definitely there's going to be a buying opportunity, if anything, Yeah. when uh, these kind of heavy corrections come. Yeah, you definitely have to be more selective if you're going to be in the equities market. And those dividends you're talking about is the equivalent of the cash flow in real estate. So if you're buying just for the sake of capital growth, you're a speculator. If you have dividends, you're getting cash flow. Well, you have a real rate of return at that point. But I think this needs to go out as at least a caution, if not a warning to people who are vested and especially heavily vested in the stock market. Because what we're ultimately saying is it's not a question of if there's going to be a major correction. It's more of a question of when it will happen and so right you know there's a saying you know it's better to be out of the market a year early than a day too late so yeah i i would just say this marco the the idea is to have allocations into multiple asset classes and this is definitely not the time to be heavily weighted into u.s equities that time was eight years ago when they were generationally low so the idea is right now trump has created an environment where so many people who were afraid of the stock market and voted for Trump, they piled in to the S&P 500. That's the worst time you want to get in when all of this retail crowd is buying shares. It's a very good time to be cautious and selective and take profits. It's a nine-year bull market. Come on. Yep. It's historically long. So I think we are due or maybe Second overdue. longest. Yeah. Yeah. It was the third until recently. Now we're the second. So let that be a sign. But Lior, your wealth of information, I didn't ask you half of the questions I wanted to ask you here. So there might have to be a part two down the road. But I really appreciate you spending time. Please do me a favor. Tell our listeners how or where they can find you and where they can uh, find those reports you were talking about early on. 
Yeah, sure. So basically, Wealth Research Group is mainly a newsletter that arrives at your email box about every three, four days. And it's with our highest conviction research, anything from personal finance and just more personal advice to big picture. And the added value is that we do marathons where we cram in on a given sector for like 40, 50 days, speak to countless management teams, and then we issue a time-sensitive suggestion either in the resource sector like uh, gold and silver companies. We recently featured a cobalt company. I don't know if your listeners are aware of cobalt and its importance to the electric cars vehicle. But anyways, it's a nightmare of supply because half of it is in the Congo and it's you know, cramming in on those mines and there's going to be a huge supply shortage. And we recommended a company that has a cobalt asset in North America, which is very unique. And it's where Elon Musk said he would try to source his cobalt from. And then, as I said, we are heavily looking into companies that are in the marijuana space as well, especially, you know, within California and the major markets in the U.S. Sure. Marijuana is amazing because of one thing. The demand is already there. It's not a market that is in growth mode. It's a market that's moving from illicit to legit. And so all of these profits that are already there are just going to move into the private and the public sector where you can be part of that. So it's an amazing process as well. Just go back to 1933 and see you had a president whose father was the one of the largest companies in, in the alcohol business Yeah, with the Kennedys. So definitely a lot of things going on there. And, and take us for a test drive. It's a, it's a free newsletter. Sounds great. Lior, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I'll put all that in the show notes and um, we'll, we'll uh, connect soon. Let me know when you're in California. Thank you very much, Marco. Will do. Thanks, Lior. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.